Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Let's read Acts chapter number 24, verse number 24 aloud. We're going to see our text verse, and then we're going to go back and get a little of the context. We're going to look here at our text verse or two to start with, kind of get where we're at and where we're going in the message, and then we'll go back and read the the lead-up story to it. Acts chapter 24, verse number 24. Let's read that aloud. Ready? Begin. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning his faith in Christ. So where we're at, we finished up chapter 23 last week. Where we were at last week, Paul is now in Caesarea. You'll recall the, uh, the middle of the night military convoy of about 500 armed soldiers, 70 horses, and uh, they take him to Caesarea, and he's there in Felix's house. And what has happened is that Felix, along with his third wife, Drusilla, Drusilla, had already, this is her second husband. She had been married to another king. She's an interesting character. Uh, she had been married to another king as a teen bride and had left that king to go marry Felix right around 19 or 20. And, uh, and, and she was uh, the great granddaughter of Herod the Great, the king who ordered the slaughter of all little children trying to kill Jesus. That was her great-grandpa. That's who we're reading about here. Her, uh, her great-uncle killed John the Baptist and personally mocked Jesus. And her father uh, killed the apostle James. So Drusilla has some family history with Jesus and his followers. And so that's who we're reading about. Felix and his wife Drusilla sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Um, Their son, Felix and Drusilla's son, was later killed during the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. And uh, so some interesting things on these characters. Now I'm going to read the first half of verse number 25. So they call to Paul and say, come tell us about what it means to be a Christian. Verse 25, and as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, probably not three subjects that were real exciting to somebody like Felix and Drusilla. Righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Do you see the next two words? Would you read those aloud with me? The next two words, ready, begin. Felix trembled. One more time. Felix. Felix did what, church? The truth of the Scripture, the truth of Paul's preaching, the Holy Spirit conviction. He trembles. He's literally, it's, it's, it's so powerful. It's literally brought him to a physical reaction. He's trembling. His heart is trembling within him. His heart is, and what he hears from Paul about righteousness, temperance, and the judgment to come. Paul, we don't know all that Paul said. We know he didn't just say those three words. He reasoned about these subjects. Paul's message to Felix and Drusilla, it hit home. 
Felix, Drusilla, the way you're living, you, you've got, th- this is not pleasing in God's sight, the life you've lived, the, the way that you worship or don't worship, the things that you're doing. Felix, by the way, was a wicked, wicked leader. Uh, he was not a righteous leader at all. And uh, th- the life that you're living and the judgment to come, the payment that's coming for the life that you're living, it causes this response. And so I wonder, he's heard the gospel from one of the most powerful preachers to ever walk the face of the earth. He's had a personal session with the Apostle Paul, preaching of his faith in Christ, preaching of righteousness, preaching of temperance, preaching the judgment to come, and he trembles. And I want you to read, what's, what's the response going to be? He realizes there's power in what Paul is preaching. How's he going to respond? Would you read the second half of verse 25 after trembled, starting with the word and. Ready? Begin. And answered, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. What a tragic verse. And he answered, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I'll call for you. I don't know all what God was doing. Drusilla obviously knew much of the Jews and Jesus and the followers of God, undoubtedly knew some things about Paul. Her dad was very involved in all of that. So it may have been under her influence. Hey, Felix, we really should listen to what Paul has to say and let's bring him in. And Paul comes and and begins to preach and begins to teach and begins to reason, begins to talk with them about these matters of life and death, these matters of eternal importance. And Felix trembles. I need that. Oh my, what's going to happen when I die? And here's his response. Go away for now. When it's a better time, we'll talk about this some more. I'll deal with this when it's more convenient. What was he saying? One of these days, we'll get back to this subject, and maybe I'll make a decision then. This morning, I want to bring a message entitled, One of These Days is None of These Days. One of these days is none of these days. I want all of us to take inventory this morning. Where and when has God spoken to you and you've put it off? You know, there's an interesting thing that happens in our human hearts. They're tender for a season. And the longer we put something off and the longer we push something away and the longer we reject something, our hearts do this thing that we call hardening. They begin to harden to those. And that which at one time had great convicting power in our lives can lose that power in our lives if we push it away long enough. I'll start that later. When I get through this season of my life, then I'll really work on that. I'll make that change next year. One of these days, I'm going to stop doing that. And one of these days, I'm going to start doing that. And God convicted me. I really shouldn't be involved in that. But one of these days after, maybe next week, I'll get started. And I I know I heard the truth that Jesus loved me so much that he died for me. And he, he died on the cross to pay for my sins. And all I have to do is come to him in faith, accepting that free gift. And, and I believe all of that's true, but I'm, I'm just not ready one of these days when it's a little more convenient. Then we'll have that conversation. The truth is that one of these days is none of these days. 
If you and I don't decide to take action now in certain areas, there, there's a chance that we may never. Let's look at the events leading up to this conversation, and then we'll pull out a, a few final uh, takeaways toward the end here. How did we get here to where Paul is speaking to Felix and Drusilla uh, after he gets to Caesarea? It's five days after he gets to Caesarea. We find ourselves in verse number one. Follow along, please. We're going to look at the, the majority of this chapter right now, and then we're just going to pull a few things out. I want you to see the story. Verse number one of chapter number 24, the Bible says, and after five days, Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders. You might remember if you were here two weeks ago, Ananias is the one that slapped Paul in the face. And Paul basically, basically told him, you're, you're not, you're, you're out of order, you're out of line, you're Ill. And, and then he realized who he was, and, and he got, that's who this is. Ananias, a wicked, wicked man, brings the elders, those rulers from the Sanhedrin, and with a certain orator named Tertullus, who informed the governor against Paul, they bring a high-powered attorney. They bring whoever that would be today from my, my day, the, the, big, uh, the big trial that I remember, that'd be Johnny Cochran, right? The OJ trial. And whoever that high-powered celebrity attorney was that's going to be very persuasive and very convincing, whoever that might be today, that's who they bring. And let's look. They're coming down. Paul's been in, in, under Felix's guard for five days in Caesarea, that, that port city, that seaside town on the Mediterranean. And verse 2, and when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, he's talking to Felix, seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Basically says, Felix, you're the greatest. By the way, Felix wasn't the greatest. The Jews really didn't like Felix. <laughs> he had caused a lot of problems. But he comes in with these flowery words. You, you're amazing. Verse number four. Notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldest hear us of thy clemency. A few words. I don't want to take up too much of your time, Felix. Would you just listen to me? Just, it'll be real short and I'll give you the case and we can put this Paul guy to death. Verse number five. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. It's a derogatory term of Christians, the sect of the Nazarenes. You remember, was it Nathaniel that said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth, speaking of Jesus? Well, they call them now the Nazarenes. Oh, those are those nobodies from that nobody town that follow that nobody guy named Jesus. He didn't even say these followers of Christ are Christians, the Nazarenes. That, that was the idea of just from podunk out in the middle of nowhere. They've got no, no, no social standing whatsoever. And, and here, here um, Tertullus makes a personal charge. He's been a pestilent fellow. He makes a political charge. He's causing all kinds of political upheaval. And then he makes a doctrinal charge, a ringleader. That's a military term, meaning at the front of the ranks, a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, who also hath gone about to profane the temple. Not true. None of these things are true. Whom we took and would have judged according to our law, but the chief captain, Lysias, came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come unto thee, by examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things, whereof we accuse them. And the Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. So he says, we were going to deal with this on our own, but your, your guy over there in Jerusalem, your Roman um, counterpart, 
He stole them out of our hands. Well, those of us that studied this story the last couple of weeks, we know that what he's saying is not true. He took them out of their hands because they were about to kill him. He, they were about to put him to death without a proper trial. But he, he leaves all of those details out. He said, well, he took them out and he said, we had to come to you. And we were going to take care of all of this. And, and we had to come to you and give our testimony. And all of the Jews, it says they assented unto Yeah, that's right. What he's saying is true. The whole group that was there. Yeah, listen to this guy. It's all true. It's all true. Listen to him, Felix. Verse 10, Paul begins to speak. Then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, basically said, so do you have anything to say for yourself, Paul? He answered, for as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship, and they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues, nor in the city, neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. Paul says, he says, Felix, I'm glad I get this chance to talk. I've, I've been here for five days. I got there 12 days ago. I was only there for a week. I didn't do all this stuff in a week. I didn't do anything wrong in the temple. And he talks about, in fact, I went and helped pay for some, some, uh, some of those that were fulfilling their Nazarite vow. I went and paid for some people in the temple. I didn't bring a Gentile in, into the temple. I didn't defile the temple in any way. I didn't cause an uprising anymore. I was there for a week. And in fact, the only thing I did was I brought a big offering to help people. I brought an offering from the Gentile churches to help the Jewish church. And he says in verse number 14, but this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. He says, the things that they say that I believe the Bible, guilty as charged. And have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both for the just and the unjust. You remember the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. They only believe in the, in the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. Remember Paul got them fighting amongst themselves because he talked about the He said, I do believe that Christ rose again. And herein do I exercise myself, verse 16, to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation. I've been gone a long time, and I brought an offering. Whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple. I was, I was there right. I didn't do anything, neither with multitude nor with tumult, who ought to have been there before thee, uh, he, who ought to have been here before thee. If they had a problem, they should be here and object if they had ought against me or else let these same here say if they have found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council. Except it be for this one voice that I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day. He says here, all the people that had a problem with me in the temple, conveniently, none of them thought it was important enough to make their way to court today. They're not here. There's no witness that says I did those things. The ones that said it didn't even show up today. And these guys, the only thing they're mad about is that I, I spoke up in the midst of the Sanhedrin and said that I believe in the resurrection. We're almost done here with the passage. Verse, verse 22. And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, the way of Christians, he deferred them and said, when Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. Here's the problem. Last week we saw Lysias already sent a letter telling him everything he knew. He didn't need to wait for Lysias, but he's a politician. Look what he says in verse 23. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him. 
Here's, what, here's the decision Felix makes. And I appreciate you staying with me. A lot of intro and background here. And then we'll get to the, the application of our message. Here's, here's, what, uh, here's, here's the decision Felix makes. I'm not going to make a decision. If I let Paul go, which is what I should do, because there's no evidence to keep him here, that's really bad for me politically. They're not going to like it. But I have no grounds. I'll be in trouble with the Roman authorities, the higher-ups the, the higher from me, if I do anything to Paul, because there's no evidence against this guy. So you know what I'll do? We're in recess. We're going to find out next Sunday the recess lasts two years. We're in recess till Lysias can make his way down and give me some more details. Lysias already sent a letter with everything that he wanted to say. But we're going to put him in. Here's what we'll do, because Paul really doesn't deserve to be in prison. He's at liberty. He's got it really easy. It's a, it's a work release program, if you will. He gets to stay here, and it wasn't really a release, but he gets to have people come and go. People can come. They can minister to him. They can bring him gifts. They can bring him books. They can bring him food. They can bring him clothing. And, and, and he's going to minister in the palace. Actually, God's going to use this in some amazing ways. Come back next week, and we'll talk some about that. But this is—and he says, I'm going to keep him here until I can hear some more. And Lysias never comes. So that's where we're at. Now, it's during this time period that we read our text verses where Felix and Drusilla say, hey, Paul, come talk to us about the faith in Christ. And it's where Felix trembles and says, I'll talk to you later when, it, when it's more convenient. And then look, verse number 26. He said, when I have a more convenient season, I'll call for thee, verse 25, verse 26. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might loose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the, the oftener and communed with him. So now he goes from caring about Paul's preaching to saying, this guy's a pretty valuable prisoner. Maybe I can get a good bribe. And he would bring him in. Hey, Paul. You got any friends on the outside? Can, you, you gave that big offering to the church of Jerusalem. Do you think they might be able to take up a big offering for you? I don't, I don't know what the price was, but he said, hey, if, if I can get X amount, you can have your freedom. And he would bring them in and bring them in and talk to them. And hey, can, I get, can we get some money? He was hoping for a bribe. This is where we find ourselves. Paul with false accusations. Paul standing up and unashamedly declaring truth. A middle-of-the-road politician unwilling to make a real decision one way or the other. And then we see the tragic decision where we find our message to procrastinate that would have eternal consequences in Felix's life, his marriage, his family, and his kingdom. And may I just stop and say right here that our decision to procrastinate in those areas of life that matter most don't just affect us. When we put off getting right in an area that we know we're wrong, when we put off making a decision that we know we ought to make, when we put off some area in our Christian life, well, I'll get to that. My New Year's resolution, January, it's, it's already October. Ah, I messed up already for nine months. I'll give it three more. When we put those things off, we don't just impact our lives. We also impact lives around us. Felix's decisions impacted those around him. I read the story of a farm boy who accidentally overturned his wagon load of corn. And he was there, corn spit all over the road, trying to figure out how to get the wagon back up, the corn back in there. And the local farmer right in front of, the, 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 in front, the, that lived right where he had spilled the corn in front of him, came out and, and said to the, the boy, the farmer boy, Willis, he said, hey, Willis, he said, why don't you come in and have dinner? And then after dinner, I'll, I'll come and I'll help you pick the, uh, the wagon up. He said, no, I, I don't think I should do that. Paul wouldn't be very happy with me if I did that. 
He said, it's all right. It's, I'll come out. We'll, we'll get, I'll get my boys out here. We'll help you. We'll pick up the wagon and get the corn back in there. Let's just get dinner first. He said, I, I really shouldn't. I don't, I don't think Paul would be very happy. He said, come on, just let's go get a bite to eat. He said, okay. I don't, I don't think Paul's going to be happy with me. They go in, they eat, comes back out. And, uh, and, and after that dinner, he said, uh, after dinner, Willis said, I feel a lot better now, but I just know Paul isn't, is going to be real upset with me. And the farmer said, don't be foolish. Where is your dad anyways? Willis said, under the wagon. <laughs> and when we put some things off, it doesn't just impact our lives. Dad, husband, mom, wife, teenager, whatever your role in life may be, that thing that God's been convicting you about and you've put it off for a week, that decision for a month, for a year, it's not going to get easier and it's not going to get better and it's not going to only impact you. It will impact those around you. As we consider Felix's decision to procrastinate, I'd like for us this morning to consider three areas that we often say we will get to one of these days. Number one, I want to challenge you, don't procrastinate regarding spiritual decisions. Don't procrastinate regarding spiritual decisions. There might be some in this room or some watching online or maybe listening to this on a podcast later on, weeks or months or years from now. And you've heard the truth of the gospel. You've heard somebody, a friend, a neighbor, a family member, a relative, a, a pastor, tell you that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You've heard the good news of the gospel that God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants you to spend eternity in heaven. You've heard the truth. You've listened to it, but you've never acted upon it. What are you waiting for? Don't procrastinate regarding spiritual decisions. Like Felix, you've been convicted, but you failed to act. You've put it off. My challenge to you this morning is to not make the same mistake that Felix made. Trust Christ today. It is said that, that, that they went from a Felix and Drusilla, they went from a convicted conscience to a seared conscience to an evil conscience. Now, no longer were they communing with Paul to find out how they could know more about Christ. They just wanted money. And very quickly, they their conscience had gone, and, and they'd never made, that we know of, and from studying history, never made a decision to trust Christ. You've heard the good news. What are you waiting for? As Paul told those in Corinth, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Well, I just, I'm, I'm just not so sure, and I, I've got some questions. And I'm not saying that you come, come talk. I'll stay here all afternoon with somebody. I'll, I'll skip going home. I'll skip watching the 49ers beat the Seahawks. I'll skip all of that this afternoon. I'm serious. I'm serious. I hope that happens. But even more than that, I'm serious about I'll stay here all afternoon if somebody has questions. You know, say, I, I'm not ready to make that decision because I just don't quite understand it. Come see me and I'll stay here this afternoon and we'll talk. But don't, if you don't know Christ as Savior, don't leave this property without making Jesus your Lord and Savior. Today is the day of salvation. Don't procrastinate on spiritual decisions. That's what Felix did. And we do the same. I've watched as God clearly works in people's hearts. Conviction is real. He's, you can see him drawing that person to, them, to himself, but they delay. They put it off. Rather than step out in faith, they step back in over-analysis. And sometimes, sometimes, 
unfortunately, like what I see maybe with Felix, that strong voice of conviction becomes an imperceptible whisper to their hardened will. That's what happened to Felix. There's a good friend of mine. I've known him for about six years. He's a highly successful man, a highly spiritual man. He thinks deeply on these matters concerning Christ and salvation. He's attended our church scores of times. He loves me. He loves our church. He and I have met personally for hours going through scripture and answering questions. I've had lunch with him. I've met him in his office. He's met me in my office. But he's never made the decision to trust Christ for himself. He's told me plainly, plainly, I know that I need that. I know that, I, I, I know that Jesus is the only way to heaven. I know that I need that, but I'm just not ready to make that commitment. He said, because once I make that commitment, I know it's going to change everything about my life, and I'm just not ready yet. Now, thankfully, uh, I don't believe that his, his time is over. He's still alive, and he still has opportunity, and I'm still praying, and, and we're friends, and I, I'm praying the Holy Spirit will work. I can't force a decision upon someone. Thankfully, his time is not over yet, but, but at some point, if he continues to procrastinate and head down the spiritual path he is currently on, it will be, it has been said, repetition dulls truth's potency. Do you need to be saved today? Don't put it off for one of these days. One of these days is none of these days. If you've been saved, have you been baptized, that first step of obedience? If not, what are you waiting for to make that spiritual decision? What major spiritual decision do you know you need to make, but you've put it off? Stop procrastinating. As the familiar proverb so bluntly states, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. In your life and in mine, don't procrastinate regarding spiritual decisions. Secondly, I'm going to give us three takeaways today. Number two, don't procrastinate regarding spiritual disciplines. Paul made it clear that some of the ways that Felix was living were not pleasing to God. He preached righteousness and temperance. What was he saying? You need Jesus because of the judgment to come. And, and to be honest, Felix, Jesus needs to change some of your spiritual disciplines or lack thereof. You, you need to change your living. You need to change. Paul wasn't afraid to speak the truth and love to people. You need to change the ways that you're living. It's not pleasing to God. We all have things that we want to start doing, and we want to become for Christ, don't we? January 1st, I'm going to start reading my Bible every day until we get to Leviticus. I really need to start praying to God on a daily basis, but this is a really busy week. Next Monday. When I get through this busy season, then our, our family's really going to get plugged in and get busy serving at the church. We're really going to start being faithful. When I can get out of this crazy financial season, then we're going to start being generous and giving to God and others. Soon, we're going to do that one of these days. After this sports season, then our family is going to make daily family prayer and Bible time a reality every morning or every evening. I know I should be leading my family a little more in spiritual things, but just right now it's really busy. It's really hectic. It's really crazy. And guess what? The older I get, you know what I figure out? Being an adult is just saying, it's really hectic and really crazy. I just need to get through this season. I think until you die. I think that's how it works. I think it's always going to be really hectic and really busy and really crazy. 
Once I finish this major project at work, then I'm going to have some more bandwidth to serve with my church family and get involved in this way or that way. Then I'll be able to join a community group or join a service team tomorrow, next week, next year, when I get out of high school, when I get out of college, when I pay off my student loan debt, when my kids aren't infants, when my kids are out of the, high, out of the house, after my kids get married, and we just go, oh, and we just keep saying that next season is when it's all going to fall into place and I can really get serious about this stuff. And here's the reality. If we don't get serious about it, today, we may never get serious about it. We're really going to do that when the time is right. One of these days, the time is never going to be right. So let's start today with whatever spiritual discipline that is. I read the quote, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time, today. Well, I should have started that back then. Start today. I, I should have, man, I've wasted so many years of, I could have been whatever, fill in the blank. I, I created these addictions. I created this habit. I created the, whatever it might be, quit living there and start. What spirit, back another time and I'll call you when it's convenient. What spiritual discipline have you been meaning to develop, but you've put it off for days, weeks, months, or maybe even years now? It's been wisely said that hard work is often the easy work you do not do at the proper time. Get started. Start reading his word. Start praying. Start being more faithful to God's house. Make that a priority and a commitment. Nothing's going to keep our family from that. Did you know that the people in, in this church who can be counted on to be here when the doors are open are all very busy and all have very good reasons why they, why they could be somewhere else, but they've made that spiritual discipline a non-negotiable priority in their lives. I heard one preacher say I was, uh, he was a pastor's son. He said, I was, uh, I was raised on drugs. My parents drugged me to Sunday morning church and they drugged me to Sunday night church and they drugged me to Wednesday night church. <laughs> Tiffany and I, we, we've, we've tried since our, we were married at, at her at the age of 20 and me at the age of 21 to make it a foundation, a spiritual discipline that we we're going to try to spend time with God every day in our personal lives and every week gather together with the church in our personal lives a spiritual discipline. We got married on a Friday night, a beautiful rainy February Friday night, 21 and a half years ago. We flew out to Orlando on Saturday morning. Nothing says romance like Disney World, I guess. Mickey Mouse. We went to Disney World on our honeymoon, stayed on property, and I had done some research ahead of time because I didn't want our first beginning together for us not to set that, that, that time to be together. And I'm not trying to put a guilt trip, but for us, for me as the, a, a brand new husband, the first, I wanted to lead spiritually. And so we found out that there was a, uh, a, a I think a Protestant or an evangelical, I forget what they called it, service at the Polynesian Resort in Disney World. So we took the tram over to the Polynesian Resort and went out to the courtyard. I don't have no idea what happened and what I heard. I have no idea if we sang. I have no idea what we did. I didn't really care. I just wanted to get back to hold my wife's hand and walking around Disney World. But, but I don't know what we did, but I do remember that there was a priority in our lives from the beginning. We're going to make God and his house a priority. And it might sound funny to you, but that Wednesday night of our honeymoon, we drove to a church in Haines City, Florida, and went to a midweek service. That might sound like, that's crazy. Looking back, I'm glad we made that a priority in our marriage. I, I was thinking about it as I was studying for this, this, this um, and this may not be your story, and that's okay, start today. 
But I was thinking about it, probably in our 21 years together, there's probably, you can count on less than two hands, the weeks where one of us has not been in church. Now, there have been times where there was kids sick. Don't look down on me. We traveled when our family was in church. One of those weeks was actually this year. Don't look down on me. We traveled to, uh, to an island in the Maldives this, this uh, year. We were stuck on an island. They didn't have church on the island. And so we, uh, we, we, we uh, prayed by the pool and I sang praises through my snorkel, all right? Don't judge me. I'm not saying that, I'm not trying to be some guilt trip that you, you've got to do this to make me, but I am saying I have no regrets in, in making those disciplines a priority for our marriage and for our home. And I'll say this, we're better for it. Start reading his word, start praying, start being more faithful to God's house, start giving generously, start serving regularly. What are you waiting for? And then lastly, don't procrastinate regarding your spiritual direction. Felix's entire direction in life could have been changed. His life could have ended very differently than it did. Instead, Felix, because of some sinful actions of his own, if you study his life out, Felix was removed from power. He ended his life in disgrace because of the direction he headed down. His wife, he ended up, she ended up dying. Is God calling you or leading you into a specific leading or direction in your life? For some in this room, maybe, he's burdened you for missions around the world, but you've procrastinated doing anything meaningful toward that call. He's called you to make a big lifestyle change or a location change or even a career change for his glory, but it doesn't make sense humanly, so you've decided to consider it later one of these days. I so respect our previous pastor, Pastor and Mrs. Tomlinson, in this regard. For those that don't know the Tomlinsons, they served here for 25 years. He left this church when he was around 65 or 66. He had been in vocational ministry as a pastor and a missionary for about 40 years. To be honest, after 25 years, when he came here, it wasn't a real comfortable position being the pastor of Liberty. But after all that God had done in those 25 years, he was in a pretty comfortable position. The church was pretty healthy. He had, uh, he had love and respect from, from hundreds of people. He had a sufficient salary. He was about five years away from his mortgage being paid off and their condo over by UCI. He was only 65. He still was healthy and strong and preaching every week. And he told me as we talked, he said, but I knew that God was redirecting our lives. I knew that he was changing our direction. He had begun to burden my heart for the last chapter of my life. I had such a passion for those unreached people in the 1040 window, um, that, that area of the world that's the least evangelized. He said, I had, a, I had been a missionary over in Asia and Hong Kong, and, and I'd seen those, I'd traveled to China and traveled to some of those other, those other countries. And, and, I, and I, I started a little missions work that's called Barnabas 1040 now. When I was pastor, I started this thing kind of on the side, and it kind of placated my conscience. Well, you're doing a little something for the work over there, but, but, but God continued to, to convict and continued to speak. And, and as I read his word, I kept seeing things, and as I prayed, and as my wife and I talked, and I sought counsel. And, and he said, he said, I had made the plan at around 64, 65, I'll stay here for five more years. I'll stay here till I'm 70. And then we'll go give whatever time God gives us after that to Barnabas 1040 to really building it. And he said, but here's the reality, Ryan. The main reason I chose 70 was because at that point I'd be mortgage free. And at that point I'd have my full social security and I'd have this rental income on this condo and I'd have, and we would be much more comfortable financially. And it was like God convicted me. Why are you putting that off? You don't know how long you're going to have your health. You don't know what your life's going to look like at 70. 
You don't know where, where I'm putting this burden and this desire and this passion in your heart right now. And he said, I, I, he, he told me, he said, I stood there in the streets of China, August of 2015. I think it was, maybe it was the year before. And he said, I, I stood there and I was praying and I looked up. I said, God, do you want me to come here as just a missionary? Do you need a 65-year-old American trying to learn the language to come over here? And, and it was God making it clear, no, give your life, use your resources and your relationships in American churches and around the world to really support national pastors and to try to multiply those resources, not just to go plant one church over in China, but, but to multiply those resources to see what God can do with that, to train nationals and to travel to different countries. And may I say, he said, and I had to make a decision, was I going to practice what I had preached to the people of God all those years? Was I going to step out in faith when humanly speaking, it made a little se more sense to just stay right where I was? And there was some uncertainty to it. And because he made that decision in the last six years, you know the reality is, they, I guess they've been in vocational ministry now 45-ish years. The last six years, he's probably preached in more churches in those six years than he did maybe the 40 years all combined before it, stirring the hearts of American Christians for missions. And he's lived in China for several years, cumulatively of that time, lived in Asia and traveled to Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia and, and other countries over there in the 1040 window. And he's worked with national pastors and with missionaries. And, and now Barnabas 1040, I think, just surpassed 100 national pastors that are being fully supported in 20 different countries. I'm glad he would have just been leaving right now. I'm glad that he didn't say, you know what, this makes more sense. This is more comfortable. But God was saying, here's the direction. I'm leading you, will you procrastinate or will you step out in faith? And there's, there are now a hundred-ish churches, maybe more, that have been founded with some support and training and involvement of the ministry that God led them to found. He even, he said, I, I even kind of justified why I should stay. We had just finished the two building projects and, and I said, I'll stay for those next five years to really help the church get out of debt. It's interesting that, that we can, even if we're not careful, justify those things, but through scripture and the spirit of God and counsel, he felt God leading him in that direction. What has God impressed on you to do, but you've put it off? Solomon said it this way in Proverbs, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Don't say, I'll do it tomorrow. You might not be here tomorrow. And I might not either. The tragedy of life is not that it ends so soon, but that we wait so long to begin it. When I was a kid, I remember going to, I don't remember whose house it was, but I remember going to someone's house. And they had a coaster. It looked kind of like this. It was a circular coaster. And it had these four letters in it. Maybe some of you have seen this. T-U-I-T. And I remember asking, I said, what, what is that? What's a, a, a to it? What is that? What does that mean? And, and I said, what is that? And they said, that is a, it was circular. As you see the circle, they said, that's a round to it. I said, well, what's a round to it? What does that mean? They said, well, have you ever heard anybody say, and when you ask them, when are you going to do that? They say, oh, when I get a round to it. And they say, well, now you've got a round to it, so you can go ahead and do what you've been saying you'll do when you get around to it. And it's a lighthearted reminder, but I have the ushers and they have one here. We'll just walk through and pass these down the rows. I want you to take this with you this week. And whatever that thing is you've been putting off, well, I'm going to get around to it. You got around to it. You've got this to remind you, what is that thing, that spiritual decision, that spiritual discipline, that spiritual direction that you have been putting off? 
when I get a little older, when I get out of high school, when I get out of college, when I get married, when I have kids, when I don't have kids, when I pay off my student loan debt, when I get my 401k taken care of, when I get that retirement fund fully funded, when I get this, when I get that, then I'm going to fill in the blank. Whatever that is, I'm going to do that when I get around to it. Well, you got one. Let's put this up and ask God, what is it that, what is that thing like Felix? I've been saying when there's a more convenient time, then I'll get saved. When there's a more convenient time, then I'll get baptized. When there's a more convenient time, then I'll start reading my Bible regularly. When there's a more convenient time, then we'll start giving to those in need. When there's a more convenient time, then I'll share the gospel with my coworkers. When there's a more convenient time, then I'll be a witness in my neighborhood. Well, I'm just waiting. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to say. What if they die tomorrow? When there's a more convenient time, Felix said, and I believe he died and has spent, will spend eternity in hell because he never got around to it. A lighthearted reminder about some things that have very real and long-lasting implications in our lives, in our children's lives, and in our grandchildren's lives. Church family, is there a spiritual decision you've been putting off? Is there a spiritual discipline you've been justifying your delay on? Bible reading, prayer, fasting, service, giving, church attendance? Is there a spiritual witnessing? Is there a spiritual direction you know you should act on, but you haven't? What are we waiting for? Many of us can identify with the poet who so succinctly said these words, penned these words. Procrastination is my sin. It brings me naught but sorrow. I know that I should stop it. In fact, I will tomorrow. What decision do you need to make today. As the writer of Hebrews said, he said, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Dr. Clarence McCartney told a story about a, of course, fictional meeting in hell. Satan called his four leading demons together and commanded them to think up a new lie that would trap souls. I have it, one demon said. I'll go to earth and tell people there is no God. It'll never work, Satan said. People can look around them and see there is a God. Well, I'll go and tell them there is no heaven, suggested a second demon, but Satan rejected that idea. Everybody knows there's life after death, and they want to go to heaven. Well, let's tell them there is no hell, said a third demon. No, conscience tells them their sins will be judged, said the devil. We need a better lie than that. Quietly, the fourth demon spoke. I think I've solved your problem, he said. I'll go to earth and tell everybody there is no hurry. And we buy that lie, don't we? We buy it hook, line, and sinker. I got a whole lot of time with my kids to really teach them the ways of the Lord. There's no hurry. There'll be a more convenient time. Ask anybody in this room that's raised their children if, if there's a lot of time to do that. Oh, when I, when I get through this, when I get through that, when life gets a little easier, when I take care of that, when I, there is no hurry. It's the lie of the devil. We can put it off. I'll get serious about God and the things of God tomorrow. What a tragic verse. Felix, he trembled. It wasn't just like he said, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. Get out of here, Paul. He trembled. 
You mean there's a judgment coming for my life? What I do with this truth could have eternal implications? He trembled. His heart's within him. He trembled. And how did he respond? Go your way. I'll call you back when there's a more convenient time. Church family, one of these days is none of these days. Let's start today that thing we've been putting off. The best time to trust Christ is now. Life is but a vapor. The best time to serve Christ is now. The best time to live for Christ is now. The best time to tell others the gospel is now. Before we know it, our lives, the Bible says like a vapor, they appear for a second and they vanish away. This is our time. Let's learn from Felix and not, I'll get to that then. There's never gonna be a convenient time. Let's do it now. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.